Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, as we hear the words of Scripture, help us not hear just words. Help us not hear our word. Help us hear your word for our lives, that we might believe that word and obey. Amen. Oh, but that means. Have you ever heard something that you experienced immediately as good news and then later realized that the good comes with a cost? You lose 25 pounds. Oh, but that means I have to buy a new wardrobe. Your daughter tells you that she's engaged to a great guy. Oh, but that means I have to pay for a wedding. Zoom makes it possible to attend meetings from home, right, Bob? Oh, but that means I have to attend meetings from home. Recently, it was decided that Ben Brennan and Aaron Copeland will lead a Thursday morning Bible study, and each week they're going to focus on a passage and sermon the previous Sunday. And the first Bible study is this coming Thursday, and that's great news. I really appreciate y'all doing that. Oh, but that means that the first time they meet, the first time that they meet to see if this whole approach is worth their time will be after I preach. In fact, it's my passage that I chose in my sermon that they'll focus on. I decided to embrace it. I chose a passage about Bible study. In fact, in honor of this coming Thursday morning being the first time the men's Bible study will meet to talk about the previous Sunday's sermon, I will look at the first time Luke's gospel speaks of a Bible study that Jesus leads. But before attending Jesus' Bible study, it's helpful to know the story that Luke tells right before he gives it. Chapter 4 begins with Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where after 40 days of fasting, he is tempted by the devil. The devil first tempts the famished Jesus to turn stones into bread. And in refusing, Jesus says, it is written that human beings shall not live by bread alone. The devil then tempts Jesus by offering to give him all the kingdoms of the world if only Jesus will follow him and worship him. And in refusing, Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. With the third temptation, the devil transports Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and says, prove that you are the son of God and throw yourself off. And then the devil says, it is written, he will give his angels charge of you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And then in refusing, Jesus says, it is written, 
you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Quite a struggle this is. And did you hear how much the Bible is quoted by Jesus and by the devil? This is a Bible struggle with the devil using Scripture to tempt Jesus and Jesus using Scripture to resist. Now, with that Bible struggle in the wilderness in mind, listen now to the story of Jesus' first recorded Bible study. Listen not to the words of Scripture, for we have been reminded what Shakespeare said, that even the devil can quote Scripture. Let's listen not for what the devil wants us to hear and not what we want to hear. Let's listen for what God wants us to hear. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. And he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we heard that you did in Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through in the midst of them and went on his way. The word of the Lord. What do you know? In leaving the wilderness behind, Jesus did not leave temptations behind. In the wilderness, the devil tempted Jesus to put his own needs first, then to sell his soul so as to rule the world, then to perform a miracle to prove that he is the Son of God. And now Jesus is tempted again. He comes into Nazareth, his hometown, and stands before friends and family and neighbors. And the temptation comes when they all speak well of him. I know that temptation, and I'm sure you do too. 
It is the temptation not to say what needs to be said, knowing that those who hear it probably will be disappointed and maybe even upset that you said it. I well remember the day in 2009 when a few of us on the Mill Mountain Theater board walked into the auditorium where the theater staff was assembled for a meeting. They had no idea that we were there to give the news that the finances had run out, the theater would go dark, and they would no longer be employed. I cannot tell you what a temptation it was to just stay home and leave it to others to break that hard news. Jesus faces a gathering of people who want him to do well, who are there, excited to hear what he has to say. They have watched him grow up, and he knows that they're not going to like what he has to say. The temptation is worse because the Bible study starts off so well. Jesus unrolls the scroll of the book of Isaiah and reads verses that they already love. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And no doubt, as Jesus read those words, some of the townspeople were mouthing those same passages from memory. These verses are beloved because they speak of a coming day that they have been anticipating for generations, ever since the prophet Isaiah uttered them when their ancestors were exiles in Babylon. And then after many exiles were allowed to return to the homeland, the verses continue to ring the note of hope that they will be freed from oppression, which obviously means no longer living under Persian and then Roman rule. Good news to the poor? Yes, holy God, let it be so. When they were exiled, the Babylonians took almost everything they had from them And now their current oppressors, the Romans, are robbing them blind, it seems, with their heavy taxes. Release for captives? Yes, holy God, let that be so. They have prayed for that release when they were refugees in Babylon, and they continue to pray for that release as they live under Roman rule. And then after reading the passage, the first thing that Jesus tells them in giving this Bible study is, it's time. The time is now. The time has come to receive those blessings, to be liberated, healed, restored as a nation. And then to hear one of their own say it, raising the possibility that he, Jesus, is going to lead the movement to make it so. Think of that. I mean, Jesus is already a man with this great reputation, already with a huge following because he has been going around that area teaching in synagogues and healing the sick. And there are a lot of people already following him. A Messiah then, a Messiah raised right there in Nazareth. How wonderful that would be. The one who restores Israel to its glory. They'll be able to say, we knew him when he was just Joseph's boy. You might wonder why they would immediately believe that today is the day or that Jesus is the one. But does it really matter if they all believe it? What is great is that he says it. The point is that it's possible. 
The point is, is that it needs to be said every day, just in case today is the day. I mean, it's going to happen. God promised that it would through the prophet Isaiah. Why not today? And Jesus is bold and brave enough to say it out loud, and they all speak well of him. Jesus has them in the palm of his hand. Why can't he just stop there? What's wrong with stopping while he's ahead? What's wrong with them thinking that every bit of the good news of which Isaiah speaks is for them today? Why not at least for today? Let them think that God sees that they have been history's victims and now it's time to put things right. What's wrong with building a following and a reputation further, winning love and devotion so that Jesus can have some social capital to spend later? What's wrong with giving them what they want so that Jesus can later have what he wants? Sound familiar? I mean, didn't the devil tell Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world so that you can then give me what I want? Bible study is great. What is not great is what I would call confirmation bias Bible study. Y'all have all heard the term, I think, confirmation bias. It describes that tendency we have to look for and then give authority to what we already believe to be true. If you are determined enough, you can find a way to hear in the news and glean from experience and research evidence to back up whatever it is that you really want or need to be true. And you can study the Bible that way. You can find the Democrat Jesus or the Republican Jesus if you look for him. You can find Jesus the emperor or Jesus the radical revolutionary. You can find Jesus the family man and Jesus the homewrecker. You can find the America first Jesus or the America last Jesus. You can find the champion of the poor Jesus or the middle class Jesus and even the rich Jesus if you know where to look. I mean, if you were to assemble all the Jesus figures that readers have somehow been able to find in the Bible out in a field somewhere, you'd have to ask one of them to multiply fish and loaves just to get them all fed. The townspeople know their Bible well, but they have read it with a confirmation bias. Because they already know that God puts them first. They know that the prophet Isaiah, as one of their own, in speaking of justice, is speaking of justice for them. They know that they are the victims of Babylonians and Romans. So if things are going to be set right for victims, it'll be their day in the sun. And when Jesus says the time has come, they already know he means our time has come. No need for Q&A, Jesus. We get it. All we have to say is amen. Jesus is human. And I have to believe that he is tempted to just go with it. 
The Bible that Jesus has available to him after all, the Torah, the writings, the prophets, they, they all have passages that he could use to reinforce the message that God is about us first, that if the world is to be righted, it will be when our enemies are brought low so that we can be brought high. And if Jesus wants followers, if he wants approval, if he wants influence, all he has to do is say that, or at least stay quiet. But Jesus resists temptation yet again. He resists temptation and goes on to interpret the verses that he read. He does what good Bible teachers do. He uses scripture to interpret scripture. Instead of defending the popular reading of Isaiah, he uncovers what the prophet really said. This prophet in exile saw suffering. He saw the suffering not only of the Jewish exiles, but he also saw the suffering of the Babylonians around him. He saw the suffering of Gentiles and Jews. He was an example of what scholars talk about when they say that in exile, justice became less a prayer for the Jews and more a prayer for the world. And that's what Jesus points out. The good news that Isaiah says is coming, that needs to come, is for the poor and the persecuted all over the world. Yes, even those who've been impoverished and persecuted because of the Jews. Jesus brings up stories from Scripture that speak specifically of time when Jews and Gentiles were all suffering, and God brings relief first to the Gentiles. You see, for justice and mercy to be particularly helpful, they need to be universally applicable for them as well as for us. The townspeople respond just the way that Jesus thought they would. Admiration turns to fury. Some are so upset that they are not seen as the victims that they try to do what the devil tempted Jesus to do to himself, throw him over a cliff. Now, you understand, don't you, that we can't read this story simply as about Jews and Gentiles thinking, well, isn't it great that God came first to us Gentiles and not to those Jews? No, this story is about those who consider themselves people of God. It's about insiders and outsiders. It's about the older son and the younger prodigal. It is about the righteous and the unrighteous. It's about those who know that they are the victims and thus are in the party that stands up for them. Well, it ends up being both the Republicans and the Democrats. They all have their versions of how we are the ones to be saved. It's about those who are of this race and not of other races. It's about the ones who know the deal, and they're just waiting for the world to wake up to how they have it right. Confirmation bias, it's just something that we all bring to the Bible, just like we bring it to everything else in the world and we bring to the news. If we're going to get past reading Scripture and get to Scripture reading us, then we need to realize from the get-go that we bring that bias with us. 
When we accept that we always have an internal editor on call, if we accept that, then we are ready to accept that a Bible study sometimes just has to be for us a Bible struggle. I'm not saying that if Scripture is rightly heard, it will not often affirm us, comfort us, or inspire us. I'm not saying it will not often confirm what we already believe to be true. Yes, it will do all of that because sometimes the best news is old news heard as fresh news. Many times. But many times the devil that tempts us is the God that we've invented. So, to those who come to the men's Bible study on Thursdays and any other study that happens in the week, and to those who meet in every Sunday school class that we have, and especially to those who try to read and interpret Scripture alone with only their confirmation bias as a study partner, I offer the following overall guidance. The church has insisted that the Holy Spirit has to be in the conversation of Bible study or God's living word will not be heard. At the very least, this means being humble and curious about what is new or different that God has to say to us today. Without humility and curiosity, Bible study is simply seeking intel for a cause. The Bible is best studied with others whose biases are not all the same as yours. And that means then praying for not just what you want, approval, affirmation, inspiration, validation, but praying also for what you don't want but need to be judged and challenged and upset and changed. After all, isn't that our prayer, that God will speak to us and that we will be saved? I know what you're going to want to say, Jesus says, before lowering the boom. Physician, heal thyself. But saving ourselves is precisely what we can't do. So in Bible study as in life, God, let thy will be done and thy word be heard. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.